0: What Paul said when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were afraid. So they came and told them that they were sorry. They led them out of the jail and asked them to leave the city. But when Paul and Silas came out of the jail, they went to Lydia's house. They saw some of the believers there and encouraged them. Then they left. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this report, this testimony of what was going on in your church during those, during those early days. We pray that we uh, might hear this morning what it is that you would want us to know from this passage. We ask that you would send us your Holy Spirit to uh, open our ears and open our minds. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So all of chapter 16 uh, is uh, about the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Paul is traveling with Timothy and Silas and Luke. Uh, perhaps there are other people also uh, present uh, in this company of people. Uh, they are making the very first entry of the gospel into Europe. Okay, so they've crossed over from, from Asia Minor. They've crossed over into Europe. They've left behind the Orient and the ways of the Orient, and they've arrived in the city of Philippi, uh, a city that has no synagogue. There are some worshipers of the true God, but they're not gathering in a synagogue. You recall that it is Paul's uh, customary practice when he travels into a new city to go to the synagogue and begin uh, uh, to, to speak there, but. In Philippi, there would have been fewer than ten Jewish men. Perhaps there was one, perhaps there were a few. We know that the believers in God are gathering at the riverside and Paul meets them there. Uh, In our readings the past two weeks, we've encountered three uh, conversion experiences. My take on this is that these three conversion experiences are representative of the kinds of experiences that were happening in Philippi, that it's not an exhaustive list of all of the conversions that uh, that have happened. Those three are Lydia, and then the uh, the slave girl who's some kind of seer, and then uh, the, the 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 Roman jailer. Okay. Now, I just want to briefly lift up these three characters because I do believe that the writer of the Acts of the Apostles, who's, who is also the writer of the Gospel of Luke, that he's chosen these three individuals uh, for, a, for a purpose. And so let's just very briefly look at these three. First, there is Lydia, who is a... Uh, a dealer in purple cloth. She is actually from Asia Minor. She's traveled over to Europe. She's set up there, and it seems that she's some some kind of independent businesswoman. She has her own house, she runs her own business. She is able to host the missionaries in her home without consulting with a husband. Perhaps she's widowed. It's not really clear, but what we have here is an entrepreneur who's prosperous who is running her own household, who is a successful person. And she also happens to be a worshiper of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so she is probably not Jewish by birth, but she has learned about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and believes in this God and worships him even before Paul and his companions have arrived. She is the first European convert to Christianity. All of us who have European ancestry can look back to Lydia as the first of our mothers in the faith. In her case, the gospel comes to her as a fuller revelation of what God has already delivered to her in an earlier way. She already has the Torah. She already has the prophets, but In meeting Paul, she understands how Jesus is a fulfillment of a number of the promises that have been offered uh, in the Jewish scripture. So her conversion to the gospel is a conversion uh, of fulfillment. She's already rooted in the faith. She's already rooted in the trust uh, in the one true God. But she has now encountered Jesus Christ. The second character who shows up in this story and we don't get her name unfortunately I will call her Sybil because that's what she was she was uh, a Sybil she represents the extreme opposite of Lydia This is an enslaved girl she's working for the, the for the temple that's there uh she's mixed up in the occult uh, she is not in control of her body or her soul. She's possessed by some kind of spirit. Um, we know uh, that these uh, Sibyls were also sometimes involved in prostitution at the temple. So this is a girl who's been enslaved and is making money for men who were running this temple. You would go there and she would say something and it would be a kind of a horoscope for you. This is a woman who, a young woman who is not in control, who is completely unfree, who doesn't know anything about the one true God. And yet she hears something in the preaching of Paul. She knows that something is going on there because, you know, the truth resonates in the heart of man, no matter How far we've fallen down. She hears something in there. And Paul casts out this demon. Her mind becomes freed. Which is what of course then makes her no longer useful to the people who've kept her enslaved. It's important to recognize that if you free the mind of a slave. That slave is no longer useful to the slave owner. And so the men who had owned this girl. Are exasperated. They're angry with Paul and his companions because this girl is no longer under their power, which is what causes the whole ruckus. There is this uproar in the town and they call in the officials and Paul and his companions are beaten and then they're thrown into jail, which is where we meet our next character, the jailer, who's some kind of civil servant. He probably is a retired soldier, He's a cog within the apparatus of the government. He seems to display the virtues, the Roman virtues, uh, uh, the Roman civic virtues, uh, in the fact that he's willing to commit suicide when his prisoners escape or when he thinks his prisoners escape. So, three very different kinds of people. This third person, person the 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 message of Jesus, of course, is coming out of the blue he 's got no background in uh, uh, in the in the prophecies of the Old Testament, and it hits him like a ton of bricks based upon uh, what has happened there uh, in his jail. I think this constellation of three very different kinds of people from different statuses in society, from different relationships with uh, with the law that's already been given. I think there's a message in here that the gospel is for everybody. That the gospel is for those who have already received the Torah, but the gospel is for those who, who don't. The gospel is for those who are virtuous and middle class, and the gospel is for those who are at the absolute bottom of the social ladder the gospel is for all people now where we are today after the freeing of the mind of the Sybil, and after uh paul and barnabas and uh, uh not i mean paul and silas being thrown into jail is we have this scene of, uh, of a of a of a remarkable evening in the jail paul and barnabas are in the jail in fact if you've got that text uh, there in your bulletins. I'm, by the way, using a translation called the Easy Reading Version. I like it. I don't know what to say about it. I find it simple. Uh, yeah, so that that's what I'm using. I, I think it's it's you know it's designed for like a fifth grade reader, and I I think if you can if a fifth grader can understand it, then adults can also understand it. So I just want to walk through this passage this morning from verse 25 on down uh, and just lift up a, a few of the features that appear uh, in this testimony about the early church. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing songs to God. The other prisoners were listening to them. Now what you see happening here is a kind of witnessing that's going on but it's not a witnessing by direct proclamation Paul's not in the jail preaching to the other prisoners he's not preaching to the to the jailer they're just singing and praying to God they are witnessing not by direct proclamation they're also witnessing not by good works. sometimes our good works were down to the to the to the glory of god the father but in this case it's not the good works of paul and silas that are noticed but rather their worship i think we need to think more seriously as the church about public worship as a witness to the gospel all of you are here this morning and just you being here this morning is a testimony to the world that we are followers of Jesus Christ. That we have made a choice about our priorities and we have, we've shown up here this morning. We have not gone to soccer practice this morning. We have not gone fishing this morning. We've gathered as the people of God for public worship people notice that i remember having a funny little conversation with my son john calvin who is not in church all the time but at one point he was saying to a friend of his that oh you know i've gotten this has been this has been a while ago now but he was saying you know i'm i am i have got to go uh, go practice with the band for church and it was a funny little testimony because It was the sort of thing that as a young man, perhaps he didn't want to share with everybody. But by making it known in public that this is who I am. I'm a person who goes to church. It was a testimony to people who might not have uh, thought about that in any other way otherwise. So here's Paul and Silas. They're in jail and they're just worshiping God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I think the world notices when we're worshiping. I think signs of our public adoration of Almighty God get noticed. Suddenly, verse 26, there was an earthquake so strong that it shook the foundations of the jail. All the doors of the jail opened and the chains on the prisoners fell off. Now, I don't know what you think about this. Do you think this is a miracle? Do you think this is supernatural? My inclination, this is the word of Dan, this is not the word of God, that, that this event was simply a natural event. There happened to have been an earthquake and it caused the jail to get rattled in such a way that, that the doors were opened. Alright? That it was a natural event within the providential control of God that changes the situation. Alright, a moment before, they're in, they're in the jail, there's no hope for them to get out of the jail, the doors are locked, the chains are on, and then, there is this providential event, a natural event, a natural earthquake, and all of a sudden, the scene is different, and there is now the opportunity for escape. Maybe you remember back in Acts chapter 13, there was a similar event, uh, with a jailbreak involving Peter. Okay, now in that case, an angel comes to Peter and, like, leads him out and says, okay, it's time for us to go. In this case, God has something different going on. The jailer wakes up. He sees that the whole place has fallen to pieces. The doors are open. The chains are off. His assumption is that everyone would have run for the hills and that he uh, would have failed in his duty as a soldier and as a jailer. And therefore, in keeping with the ethos of the day, in keeping with the, the, the Roman moral standard, he needed to commit suicide. But there inside of the prison, Paul shouts out, Don't hurt yourself. We're here. I think this is the miracle. That Paul, a man who has been unjustly beaten and jailed, that Paul does not act in self-interest, even against the person who has abused him, but rather he acts in the interest of the others, even the person who the world would say is our enemy. There's a moral miracle. Miracle that has happened here. There is a holy crushing of self interest, and it is precisely this moral miracle that opens the eyes of the jailer. Holy smokes. What kind of people are these that don't take advantage of the opportunity to escape from the police? You had the chance to run away. I mean, you running away would mean that I would have to die, but you didn't run away. What a tremendous, tremendous testimony on the part of the Apostle Paul. In the case of Peter, when Peter leaves, Peter is instructed by the angel to leave. But in this case, there's no such instruction. And in this providential, natural providential event, Paul does not take advantage of his opportunity to escape. Rather, he's concerned about the welfare of the people that he might rightly hate. Okay, The people who've beaten him unjustly, the people who have jailed him unjustly. That leads the jailer in verse 30 to say, Man, what must I do to be saved? Now, look, this is the most important question you can ask. The answer to this question is the most important treasure that the Church of Jesus Christ has. The answer to this question is what we have that the rest of the world doesn't have. We have the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? All right. And we need to guard that treasure with our lives. Now, the world has a number of alternate non-gospel answers to the question of what must I do to be saved. One worldly non-gospel answer to this question is, is that, well, there's nothing to be saved from. There is no God. There is no law. There is no standard. There is no final judgment. That would be one answer to the question. Another answer to the question would be, oh, you know, God doesn't really care about that law that he set up. And he'll just give you a pass because he's a nice guy. Okay, that, that's another non-gospel answer to this question, what must I do to be saved? What scripture teaches us and what the church has always taught since the earliest days is that there is a God who made us. And that that God established a law from before all time And that he made that law known to us. And that he promised that he would judge us based on that law. And every one of us have failed to fulfill that law. Which creates the problem. Because the penalty for failing to keep the law is death. Eternal death. Eternal separation from God. And so God sends his own son to bear the penalty for our sin. So that by faith in Jesus Christ we can be saved. Only the church has that message. There is no other institution in the world that has that message, which is why there will always be the Church of Jesus Christ on planet Earth until Jesus returns. The men in the jail say to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all who live in your house. Now this, of course, is a reduction. This is the basic gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There's more to it. We can tell from the story and the sequencing here in this, in this next paragraph is, is a little fuzzy, but it seems like the jailer take Paul and Silas back to his house where he cleans them up and he feeds them and, and at the house then, then the fuller proclamation of the gospel is made and the jailer and all of the people in the household Are converted that night. I guess it happens before the morning light. And they're baptized. I think sometimes. We take baptism too casually. The command in scripture is to believe and to be baptized. To follow Jesus and be baptized. And what you see happening here is, is that the moment these people have the light go on, the moment they realize, okay, Jesus is the way, Jesus is my, is my salvation, as soon as they do that, what do they do? They get baptized. They don't wait till the next day. They don't wait till the next week. They don't schedule it in the summer when the weather is nicer. The jailer and his people were baptized. And then the celebration Breaks out. All of the people were very happy because now they believed in God. Those of you who have any qualms about uh, the fundamental Christian claim that Jesus is God should notice the construction here because in verse 31, the apostles preach believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then at the close of that paragraph, all the people were happy because they now believed in God. Believing in Jesus is believing in God. Okay, Jesus is God. And when we place our trust in Jesus, we are placing our trust in in Almighty God. So the next day, there's kind of a, I don't know, uh, an opportunity to settle the score. The next day, the... The, the officials want Paul and Silas to just leave town. Okay, they've beaten them. They've thrown them in jail. Apparently in Roman law, there, this was permissible. You could There was corporal punishment, which was a regular part of their system, but not for people who were citizens of Rome. And so when Paul reveals that he was a citizen, all of a sudden they're afraid because there is this recognition that they, have, that they have abused one of their own citizens. That they've broken their own law. And what they want to do now is to simply cover up their misdeed. And send these people on the way. Just go away quietly. Don't, don't make a fuss about what's, what's happening here. I think it's important. I think this is a civic lesson here. This is a Christian civics lesson. Paul insists that the civil authorities, and he is part of the Roman state himself, he is is a citizen of the Roman state. Paul insists that the civil authorities in his state abide by their own law, and he holds them to account. They have made a mistake. I mean, in some sense, maybe it was an honest mistake, or maybe they should have been a little more careful and should have checked with these individuals before they beat them. Are you a Roman citizen? But they have, in fact, violated their own law, and Paul is not content to allow them to simply walk away and to cover this up. He wants them to be accountable for what they've done. And so we see in verse 39, they come and they tell Paul that they're sorry he asks for an apology and he gets an apology okay all right i think we as christian citizens have a duty to hold our public officials to the law and to not just say well that's okay you 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 made a mistake all right our our duty as christians is to uphold the law and the only way that we can uphold the law is if we insist that our Officials also uphold the law. After this, they're, they are released, they're, they're, they're sent out. The officials are hoping that they're just going to leave town because of the fuss that they've caused, but they go back to Lydia's house. Now, we don't know exactly how many days or months have transpired uh, in in the events that are recorded for us in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 16, but it seems as though Lydia's house has already become a kind of House church. Okay. They go to the house and there are other believers there. The other believers aren't mentioned. They, they certainly uh, aren't only the people who've been mentioned, who've been listed uh, uh, in the account in Acts chapter 16 already, which was what makes me believe that the examples that are given to us in Acts chapter 16 are just representative but are not exhaustive. There were a bunch of believers in this city already and they're meeting at this woman's house, at Lydia's house. And Paul does what Paul does, which is to encourage them. He preaches to them. And then he goes on his way. Everything that Paul is doing... has the result of causing the gospel to be received by more and more people. Everything that Paul does results in the gospel being received by more and more people. That includes the words that come out of Paul's mouth when he's preaching. It also includes his actions. They're worshiping in in the jail in difficult circumstances. And it also involves his attitude. In all of these ways, Paul is helping people hear and receive the good news of the gospel. The gospel is simple in some sense. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to believe who it is that he said he was. He said he was the Son of God, that he was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So when we believe in Jesus, we don't believe in a moral teacher. We don't receive Jesus simply as a moral example of, of a wise and virtuous man. He is God who bore in his own human flesh the penalty for us. To receive the good news of the gospel, of course, requires that we first receive the bad news that we all are sinners. And that as sinners, we are under a death penalty from God. What we're saved from is the wrath of God. What we're saved from is the consequence of our sin. God's desire is is that we would all be saved. God's desire is that we would come to be with Him for all of eternity. And He provided that path through Jesus Christ. My question for you this morning is, have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you taken those same steps That the jailer did. Have you become aware that you are a sinner. Under a divine death sentence. Have you become aware that Jesus paid that penalty. And and you can receive that penalty. In payment for your sin. By faith in Jesus Christ. Have you done those things. And then have you been baptized. This is our calling this day. Let us pray. Father God we love you and we adore you. And we thank you for these reports. Uh of the church and how the church was working so long ago. We thank you for, for the vibrancy and the vitality of the church there in Philippi. We thank you for the ways in which that church was such a, such a blessing to Brother Paul and how, how much he loved that church and uh, how well that church supported Paul uh, in later years. Lord, I pray that the same message that turned the hearts of uh, many Philippians around people who had been pagans, people who had been Worshippers of the true God, I pray that, that that same message might grab hold of our heart and that we might be converted and that we might believe in you alone. We pray that you would grow up in us the faith uh, that you have uh, grafted us into. Lord, I pray that we would treasure that faith and that we would uh, live that faith out in, in weekly worship and in daily speech Lord, I pray that we might be a living, vibrant church that is making a difference in the lives of many people here in in this neighborhood and and a little farther afield. Lord God, I pray for those of our number who are unable to be here this morning. I pray uh, that the fellowship uh, would be real to them. I pray that uh, you would open the doors that would allow them to be back in public worship again. Lord, we uh, pray for the Crawford family uh, this day. We thank you for the life of Byron, and we we pray for that whole family as they grieve uh, Byron's death. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be uh, present with them every step of the way forward, even as you've been present with them in all of the steps that have brought us here lord you have been faithful already in so many ways large and small uh, with that family and and i just i just pray that you would uh, continue to show your favor uh, to that family and, and continue to allow that family uh, to be a testimony for uh, the the saving grace of the gospel father god i pray for uh, those who are still lost i pray for those uh, in our families who have heard the gospel, but have turned away from it, or those that we know that have just never understood the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would not give up on them. And I, I pray that you would equip us to be messengers of the good news, or at minimum, I pray that you would prevent us from getting in the way of them hearing the good news. Lord, I pray for those who are far away from you that that you would continue to draw them to yourself. I pray that you would uh, be bringing them into the sheepfold. I pray that you would be searching out those those lost ones. And Lord, I pray that you would work through us and work through this congregation to do that work as well. Lord, we do pray for uh, the session of Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church, and I thank you for their... A faithful leadership during these difficult times, and I thank you for their attention to all of the duties and the details that are involved in the, in the work of keeping things going, particularly during this time when, uh, when, when so many are away and, and we're so short-staffed. Lord, I lift up before you Valley Christian School, and I, and I pray that you continue to have your hand of favor upon that school. Um, as as the school seeks uh, a new head of school. I pray for that whole process and all of the many individuals who are engaged in that process. I pray that you would uh, bring that to fruition and, and that would uh, be a great uh, great blessing to the families of that school. Lord God, we commit ourselves to you. We commit our time to you and our attention to you. We commit our lives to you. We ask for healing for those who are sick and we We ask for comfort for those who are weary this day. But above all, we just pray that you keep us in the center of your will and allow yourself to be glorified uh, through our lives. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.